So today, out in the world, it's Valentine's Day. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day. May you be your own Valentine. (laughs) Love yourself completely and unconditionally. It also is the 30th anniversary of IMS. And it also is the third anniversary of the Forced Refuge. It was exactly three years ago today that the first retreatants sat here. For me, this anniversary is meaningful. I just find so much gratitude arising you know, for the founding teachers who had the courageousness of heart to purchase something like the retreat center and have the nerve to start setting up silent retreats in a country that it was very foreign to. So, you know, deep gratitude to Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Cornfield, and a woman probably that we haven't seen teach her for a number of years, Jacqueline Mandel. Um, and then, you know, throughout the course of this time, there's been really wonderful teachers come through. Uh, teachers such as Mahasi Seda from Burma, um, Manindra Ji from India, uh, Deepama from India. Uh, the Dalai Lama actually came to IMS at one point. Uh, we've had Sayada Upandita, Sayada Ujanaka. Um, you know, it's, and then there's just been many wonderful Western teachers come. And then there's been all of the people that have practiced for 30 years that, you know, have really helped have been the lineage from which we come. You know, every person that comes, the practice that they put in, you know, we all benefit from it. You know, many of you in coming here speak about the depths of the silence here. And that, you know, it's just a fruit of all of the practice that's happened at IMS. And, you know, I feel so much gratitude for this place being here. It feels to me somewhat like a bedrock in Buddhism coming to America. Uh, that, you know, it's been here through 30 years of, of Buddhism finding its way over here. And, you know, it's just continued to do what it does offer silent retreats. And so I just have deep gratitude and want to acknowledge this day and all of you and everyone who has made it possible for us to keep going. So tonight's talk is going to be a continuation on the five spiritual faculties that I began last week. Last week, for those of you who weren't here, I spoke about faith. You know, faith being the quality of mind that really helps us to begin our spiritual journey. You know, where we get some sense of possibility and we embark upon this journey of awakening. And, you know, as we take these teachings and really apply them into our own lives, into our meditation practice, we find that you know, there comes a degree of trust. There comes a confidence. We might find this energetic quality of devotion arising. And there comes with it a clarity of mind that is able to dispel doubt. And when 
faith is really strong, we find that it very naturally leads into effort, energy. And this effort or energy that comes when faith is strong is really an effort or energy that comes from within. It's not the uh, effort that we try to manufacture, that we try, you know, to... to um, we often try through should, I should be doing this, and we call, try and call forth energy. But this effort or energy that comes when faith is there is a really natural quality. It's, it, we are, find that we are very willing to apply ourselves to awakening, to seeing uh, what alleviates suffering. Because in our own experience, we have some degree of verified faith. We you know, have had some sense of possibility, but then we've really come to know something through our own experience. And because of that, we find a heightened effort, energy. In our practice, we will find that effort or energy is something that we struggle with a lot. And it can be energy on the abundance level, where we have so much energy that we move into exuberance. And, you know, being in a state of exuberance, we might find we quickly become tired. Or we might find that there's so much energy in the mind that there's a lot of thinking arising. There's fantasies, and in the mind, you know, that we're just kind of jumping from thought to thought to thought out of this exuberant energy. We might find with a lot of energy that there comes a restlessness in the body where there's an agitation because it's out of balance, it's, you know, too much energy. With effort or energy, we can also notice it sometimes in our experience when it feels like it's effortless to be present, that it doesn't take a lot of effort. But yet, we're kind of puzzled, you know, it's so effortless, we just sort of think, well, what's my problem usually? You know, that it just seems so basic, so easy. What could the problem ever be any other time? We're quite mystified by it. As I mentioned last week, I recently went to Burma to practice for a month. And one of the things I was really exploring during this time was effort and energy. Um, There was a, a sign that was put in many different places around this monastery. And it was actually on the teacher's desk. So every time you went in for an interview, it would be facing you. And it said, there should always be the greatest possible effort without forcing, without creating tension. Earlier in my own life, I was living in a spiritual community, and I got the nickname Deva Slava. I think it was somehow tied into this tendency to (laughs) over-effort. And um, 
you know, another time in my life where it really became apparent to me that I had this tendency to over-effort was one time, my first trip to Burma. And, you know, being in Burma and I was really going to apply myself. This was the great opportunity in life. And, you know, I was just wearing myself into the ground. And I was sharing a room with a woman who's a nun now. She has been for many years. But we were sharing a room. And she told me... um, that you know, one day she was just shaking her head at me. She said she woke up and the wake-up bell had gone. You know, it's kind of this loud noise that happened throughout the whole monastery, and uh, you know, it would wake you up every morning. And as I woke up, my tendency was to reach for my water bottle and have a sip of water. So on this particular morning, I reached for my water bottle and then fell asleep right there. You know, she just saw it as this um, person who was definitely over-efforting. So I have had a long history of over-efforting. And so, sitting there in Burma, being faced with the sign every day, there should always be the greatest possible effort without forcing, without creating tension. Another aspect of this month that I spent was the teacher would often talk about relaxing, something I've mentioned to many of you. So I let this be a very poignant instruction for me during this month, to be practicing without forcing, without creating tension, and relaxing. And this became a piece of my exploration of right effort or energy. I found it very interesting to see how much energy does arise in the mind when it's relaxed. In order for it to be relaxed, there can't be any forcing or creating of tension. So this in itself became a place of investigation to watch what's happening when forcing is occurring, what's in the mind, what's happening when tension is there. And just paying attention, you know, if I could see that foreseeing was happening, could there be a relaxation? If tension was there, could there just be in the seeing of the tension and the relaxing with this? No, it isn't always that we can see the forcing and stop the forcing. That would be forcing again. You know, so can, can there first be just the recognition of the forcing? The acceptance of the forcing. Sometimes in the acceptance, there's the letting go. The same with the creating tension. And so, you know, often it would just be watching this very subtle, maybe leaning forward, forcing, trying to get somewhere, trying to get some experience, wanting something. And just noticing that leaning forward and being there. 
Sometimes it was the tension. Sometimes that tension comes through not accepting of one's experience, not liking. You know, and sometimes it almost seems like there's pretty good reasons for not liking our experience. You know, when we're in a lot of pain, when, when horrible mind states are there, you know, it's not so easy just to accept that. And so there can be a resistance to that. And so it could be really just noting that resistance to the experience. And so the play of right effort was just in this little arena of watching the forcing, watching creating tension, and when possible, relaxing, letting be. So I invite you in your own practice to watch with effort or energy how you're using your energy, how you're turning up for experience. Because really, right effort, right energy, is the energy that's required to simply know our experience. And a lot of the time, that is not a lot of effort or energy. That it's, you know, when the mind is undistracted, knowing happens spontaneously. We have habits of being distracted, and that's where the effort or energy comes in. That in those moments where there's the recognition of that distraction, that we just have or call on that effort that will help us to connect again with this moment. And because knowing is natural, if the mind is relaxed, it isn't a lot of effort. So noticing, you know, if there's trying to force your attention onto experience, is there wanting in that? Notice if the mind is reacting to experience. Sometimes, you know, that's the aversion. It can be really wanting to get rid of the experience, wanting to annihilate the experience. And, you know, sometimes when we don't want our experience, if we're using the tool of noting, it's like we try and just whack out that experience. You know, if it's a thought, you know, it might just be thinking. You know, (laughs) we're trying to cut it off. And so that's probably too much effort or energy. And if we really start to notice our over-efforting, we notice how tiring it is, how it drains us, that it's not sustainable. And, you know, this is something I have seen over and over again, as I'm sure many of you have. And yet, you know, this is the play. We fall into the trap. We don't see. We don't see the, you know, whether it's the wanting or the aversion slipping in. And so, you know, we're going at experience instead of just knowing the experience. Our challenge with effort or energy is in persevering, 
that you know so we have such strong habits of distraction such strong habits of not being present such strong habits of identifying with greed aversion delusion that there needs to be a persistence and that that is really in the courageous heart the heart that doesn't give up in the face of difficulty that can persist that can stay steady even though over and over again we fall into these habits but what we work with is persistence so we've spaced out for a moment it's just coming back so we got caught in anger recognizing this and you know it doesn't have to be getting rid of the anger that's extra knowing the anger if we can really use mindfulness as our refuge in the knowing of the anger wisdom will take care of it that we will see that to feed that is painful we will understand how the feeding of it happens if we can recognize it be present with it so the effort or energy is just to know our experience so persistence is necessary with it and it also gets supported by in the quality of investigation so that when whatever our resistance may be what whatever reason we have difficulty staying connected in this moment we have the willingness to open to whatever that difficulty is or to recognize that difficulty with this we will often find that we have times when we move into laziness or uh, a complacency you know that we just feel like oh i don't have to do this right now you know i'll just take a little vacation here um where we can have a complacency where we forget that life isn't forever that we won't always have the opportunity to practice in this way it's important when we hit complacency we hit laziness apathy however it manifests that we both have the capacity to recognize it and have some sense of how to work with it because it is tied in with what keeps us in this cycle of samsara what keeps us from the recognition of the liberated mind uh because we don't have the effort or energy to keep applying ourselves to keep bringing our attention to the present moment so 
when we start falling into laziness, apathy, um, complacency, there are some helpful reflections to call upon that can help us to find this inner energy. So, you know, often if we're feeling lazy, lazy, we might try and use that forceful energy, which becomes tiring. But when the energy or effort's coming from wisdom, coming from the understanding that this moment is not forever, this opportunity, this life is not forever, then the effort energy uh, comes naturally. So, actually, spiritual urgency is said to be the proximate cause for the arousing of energy. So I'd just like to talk briefly about a few of these um, reflections that we can call upon. First is the reflection on the preciousness of this human existence, of the human condition. In the Tibetan teachings, there's a metaphor that is used which... Uh, points towards that it is actually very rare and very precious to be born as a human being. That it's not so easy to come by as we might think it is. It's said uh, that the likelihood is similar to that of a blind turtle who surfaces from a vast ocean of water once every hundred years and puts its head through a yoke floating on the surface of the water. There's that much probability of being born as a human being. In contemporary teachings, it's uh, said to be similar to the likelihood of dropping a pea out of an airplane and the pea being caught on the head of a pin that someone on the ground is holding. Sometimes we really get out of touch with this fact that it is so rare and precious. Uh, You know, and sometimes, it's like every morning we wake up, here we are again. You know, and so we don't know the day that we wake up and we aren't there. You know, it hasn't happened. And so you can see why we can start to take it for granted. But it isn't always the case. Actually, just today, I came across this poem. And I was touched by the poem, and so I did a web search on the woman who wrote it. I'll first read the poem. It's called Otherwise by Jane Kenyon. I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. I ate cereal, sweet milk, ripe, flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. I took the dog uphill to the birch wood. All morning I did the work I love. At noon I lay down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. We ate dinner together at a table with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. I slept in a bed in a room with paintings on the walls and planned another day just like this day. But one day I know it will be otherwise. When I went on the web and did a search as to who Jane Kenyon was, 
what I discovered was that she actually died while she was in the midst of publishing her book of poems called Otherwise. One day it was otherwise, as it will be for each and every one of us. I once practiced with a Zen master who gave me a teaching that has really helped me to uh, be with the poignancy of this moment. And it was just a simple phrase he used over and over again. He would often say, now by now. I've actually got it on my cell phone. It pops up when I turn it on. (laughs) Now by now. It's a simple way to live. Now by now. Not taking for granted the future. Not moving into complacency. Being available to the poignancy, the teaching of just this moment. The conditions in this realm, this human realm, are said to be very beneficial. Um, That in this realm we experience both pleasure and pain. And they're enough in balance (laughs) that we can see what happens with each of them. That, you know, it's said that if you're born in one of the deva realms where things are really, really pleasant, one can lose sight of the suffering, can not feel this urgency to practice. I experienced this once in my life when I lived in a place called Byron Bay in Australia, which uh, is somewhat of a deva realm, where it's subtropical, it's right by the ocean, the weather a lot of the year is beautiful, I could swim every day, Uh, one could lose sight of the suffering in the world, at least temporary. Uh, I mean, it's always going to catch up with us in this world, and that's where the benefit of being on this realm is. And then, you know, we can know the other side of it, where sometimes if you're really so caught in suffering, I mean, you could be living on this planet in just basic survival, and not have a minute to think about practice, not have a minute to actually be exposed to the teachings, or just you know so caught up in the struggle of life that one can't have any sense of this possibility. But in this realm, it's said we get a mixture of both. And this is what helps make it such good conditions right now for liberation, awakening. Actually, I think, you know, 
the conditions here at the forced refuge, they tend to be a little on the end of the deva realm. <laughs> but we all know we're going to leave here one day. <laughs> so just using this to inspire you in your practice. There's another reflection that can be helpful for the arousing of effort or energy. And it's described as honoring the offerings we have received. I know this was very powerful for me when I was a nun in Burma. I was ordained, and during that time I received so much from the Burmese people that they were continually showering me with an abundance of food, of of things. And um, it was very touching. And it brought up in me this sense of wanting to be worthy, wanting to really honor. Because I knew that many of these people that were offering had very little. And I've seen in Burma where many times they will offer the best that they can. They're really such, many of them are such generous people. We are the same recipients here. That if we had to pay for even just this physical facility that we are practicing in, I bet you there's not many of us that would be here right now if we were paying for it out of the dollar that, uh, you know, to pay for it. You know, that it's really come through an offering from other people, through their generosity. You know, and many times as we're practicing here, we'll notice up on uh, the little board just before where we get our food is that somebody has offered the meal for the day. You know, so, so we can let this be an inspiration. And probably many of us here have had people offer in many different ways energy, uh, you know, helping us at home, have contributed in some way to us being here. And so you know, that can inspire us to practice. I'd actually like to share a story that comes out of the commentaries going back to the time of the Buddha that expresses something of this. In a little house in India lived an old lady and her young daughter. Nearby in a hut lived a meditating monk. Out of respect, the old lady called the monk her son and asked her daughter to treat him as her brother. Every morning the monk went to the village to collect cooked food for his midday meal. He never forgot to stop at the little house to get the small quantity of food that the old lady and her daughter offered him with great affection and devotion. Every afternoon he returned to the village to see his supporters and encouraged them to practice meditation and live peaceful lives. One afternoon, on his way to the village, the monk overheard a conversation between the old lady and her daughter. The old lady told her daughter, Darling, tomorrow your brother will come out to our house on his alms round. Here is ghee, here is honey, here is rice, here are spices, here are vegetables. Make sure that you prepare a delicious meal for him. The daughter asked the mother, Where will you go tomorrow? I plan to spend the day in the forest meditating by myself. But what will you eat? 
I will make a little rice soup from today's leftover rice. That is enough for me. But make sure that you make a good meal for your brother and offer it to him when he comes to our house. Hearing this conversation, the monk thought, This lady loves and respects me so much that she ordered her daughter to make a delicious meal for me when she herself is going to eat a simple rice soup made out of stale rice. I don't, I don't deserve that delicious meal until I attain full enlightenment. I must make myself worthy of her loving gift. This is the time for me to make unremitting effort to liberate myself from all negative states of mind. The monk hung up his upper robe. He decided not to go to the village again to collect food until he attained full liberation of mind. He sat down on his meditation seat, making the following resolution. Let my blood dry up. Let my flesh wither. Let this body be reduced to a skeleton. I shall not get up from the seat without attaining the final stage of liberation. With that vow, the monk meditated the entire afternoon, the entire night, and part of the next morning. Just before the time came for him to go on his alms round, he attained his goal. Then the monk put on his robes and went to the village, taking his alms bowl. When he visited the little house, the daughter of the old lady offered him the delicious meal. The young lady waited anxiously for her mother to return home from her day's meditation. That evening, as soon as the mother arrived home, the daughter ran up to her and said, Mother, I have never seen our monk so serene, so composed, so radiant, so calm, so beautiful. My dear, he must have attained true freedom, liberation from negative states of mind. We are very fortunate to have such a monk so close to our home. But if we really honor him, we must follow in his footsteps. From now on, let us meditate more vigorously so that we might achieve the same state. So both mother and daughter meditated until they too reached higher stages of attainment. Many villagers followed their example and attained stages of enlightenment. So we can let ourselves be inspired by being the recipient of others' generosity. Another reflection that can be helpful is that of reflecting on our priceless spiritual heritage. Our, our priceless spiritual heritage, what's this? There is said to be a long line of Buddhas and that all of these Buddhas, all of the awakened beings embody qualities of faith, virtue, generosity, wisdom, loving kindness, compassion. And these are the qualities that are our spiritual heritage. These are the qualities that when we make 
right effort, when we free the mind, that we too can embody. This can help to inspire us. It can help to remind us of this sense of possibility that we have as a human being. So when we fall into laziness, complacency, you know, just that lethargy that can't quite make it back to the moment, we can call upon these reflections to help us find that energy or effort that comes from within, that we're not struggling to manufacture, to try to force to be there. But it's really just turning the mind to a place that wisdom can be seen, where it has within it, uh, these reflections hold within it some aspect of truth, of the way things are. And that supports us as we practice. You know, I've noticed in my own life, in times where impermanence, the truth of impermanence, comes through very strongly, whether, you know, somebody, uh, myself or somebody else, suddenly is sick, or maybe finds out that they have some incurable disease, or when our lives get touched by death, someone close to us, that just the way that that truth of impermanence, it's like it breaks the trance, you know, that the, this illusion of permanence, it breaks that. And then that is there in the background as we practice. It helps us to, you know, keep turning the mind back towards the present moment because we aren't taking it for granted. I think it's important to understand with right effort that it is a wholesome form of energy that is directed towards liberation. And this effort or energy also needs to be guided by right view and right intention. That which is right view is that which gives us a sense of perspective. And this is strengthened through having an understanding of karma. You know, where we get a, a sense of perspective out of seeing that when we say harmful things, it has a result. When we say things that are helpful, that has a result. When we perpetuate states of anger, aversion, hatred, judgment, um, fear in our mind, that has a result. When we foster states of loving-kindness, compassion, generosity, renunciation, that has a result. So that starts to give us some perspective on having this body, this mind, and uh, some kind of direction. If we don't have this perspective, we won't know or understand 
why we should make any effort or energy. With right intention, it gives us a sense of direction, where with right intention, we actually start to turn the mind towards that which is wholesome or helpful, and to relinquish that which is unwholesome, unskillful, unhelpful. We learn how to apply our effort, our energy. And so both right view and right intention are guiding effort. This is bringing in the wisdom factor because we can use effort or energy in unskillful ways, unhelpful ways. And so it needs to be guided by wisdom. So effort, energy, being the effort or energy to turn the mind back to the present moment. Letting it be a play in our practice, because as I said in the beginning, it's something that we often struggle with. You know, times when we're just too forceful, too strong, and, and it's, you know, it's almost like we annihilate our experience through that force. The times when we're too lax, when there isn't enough effort or energy to connect with the experience. But letting this play with effort or energy be done in a very relaxed way. We find with effort or energy needs to be supported by mindfulness, the capacity to see things just as they are, and the strengthening of concentration, which will help the mind to stabilize so it's not continually having to over and over make this same effort or energy. That at some point there comes a momentum where it does become quite effortless, There is this ease in staying present. But there will be many times when we just have to stay steady. We just have to persevere. But to do that in a kind way. To do that in the most simple way possible. Where we just turn and connect with experience. Whatever it may be without trying to manufacture or create anything. And we really just rest in the doing this over and over again. And when we can let this be restful, this whole movement of mind, just to come back, just to connect again, just whatever effort is needed to know our experience, we will find the more that we apply that effort or energy, the more effort or energy is available to us. And it also has this natural quality to it. Our energy becomes replenished. 
because we're not fighting what is. Energy is said to have the characteristics of upholding, supporting, and sustaining. And so that's what this inquiry or exploration of effort or energy is, to find that which helps to uphold us, support, sustain us in this journey of liberation, this journey of freeing the heart. So let's just sit for a moment. This talk was given by Maya Shin Kelly at the Forest Refuge on February 14, 2006. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed 